Welcome to On Air, a podcast discussion at the intersection of artificial intelligence and international relations. From Tokyo, Japan, welcome to the On Air podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lamont, and today we are joined by two wonderful guests from the Center for Security and Emerging Technology at Georgetown University, Noor Luong and Channing Lee. Welcome to the show, Noor and Channing. And Noor, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. And Channing, yeah, thanks welcome. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you. In our episode today, we are excited to welcome our guests, not just because they bring great insights into tech competition and cooperation, but also because Noor and Channing are two of the authors of a recent report published by CSET on China's AI investment and commercial activity in Southeast Asia. As authors, Luang, Li, and Konaev point out in their report, Southeast Asia is home to some of the world's fastest growing digital economies. And they find that while China currently plays a limited role in Southeast Asia's fast-growing AI ecosystems, with the exception of Singapore, they do see evidence that China's tech giants, supported by the government, are expanding their activities in the region. And they point out that Southeast Asia represents a potentially significant and still untapped AI market for China. Before we get into exploring China's investment and commercial activity, it's helpful to remind our listeners that Southeast Asia is big when it comes to its growing digital economy. Can you tell us a little bit more about this broader context of Southeast Asia's AI ecosystem? Sure, you're absolutely right that Southeast Asia is a big region um, with a lot of countries. And we did particularly look at um, 10 countries that are also members of the ASEAN, um, the member states as well. And um, the reason why we're looking at this particular region is because we were interested in looking at um, what China is doing in the region, mainly um, because we've been tracking investment activities and also other commercial activities that are happening in relation to AI. Um, and as you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, Southeast Asia is absolutely home to, world, to one of the world's fastest growing economy in the digital space as well. Um, and there's a lot of untapped potentials for AI development in the region. You know, both the government and commercial actors are pursuing and trying to figure out how to really, you know, tap into the, the, the potentials that are uh, for AI development in the region. And um, they're doing so, for example, in Singapore, there is a national AI plan that, out, that outlines uh, potential, you know, uh, sectors and, and reasons why um, there should be more development in the region, uh, in particular, in, you know, uh, in the country, in Singapore. And um, for the AI space, why we're looking at that um, te particular technology, you know, um, there's a lot of interest to kind of develop that foundational uh Technology, in particular, laying laying down the uh, infrastructure foundations for AI development. You know, it's really important to look at um, areas where they can enable reliable and and broader connectivity of using internet. You know, larger at larger scale, and um, in this case, it's really important for AI development. Um, and on the flip side, of that investors are also really excited about the region. In the, in the report, we, we pointed out that the uh, investment activities in Southeast Asia has been growing substantially over the past decade or so. Um, and uh, it, in addition to that, there's one survey that we look into that shows that global investors also see Southeast Asia as a second ideal um, emerging economies uh, for private equity and venture capital investment, just second to China. So that's really important to you know, take a look at the investment space um in the region as well 
Wonderful. And and not only is this region very diverse, as you mentioned, that perhaps there, there, there are specific characteristics that some of these countries have that make them particularly attractive to, to certain kind of sectors of the digital economy, such as, as fintech and other. And I'm really looking forward to, to hearing more about kind of this broader context and also kind of the U.S.'s um, role in investment in the region. But before we get back to that bigger picture, um, Southeast Asia's digital economies appear to be a priority for, for Beijing as well. How important are Southeast Asia's digital economies to China's broader geopolitical strategy, both globally and closer to home? Yeah, I can chime in here. I definitely think that uh, Beijing sees Southeast Asia as a really, really critical uh, part of not only its, I guess, strategy towards Southeast Asian countries, uh, but foreign policy, global foreign policy in general. Um, I think people often say, whether correctly or incorrectly, that you know Latin America, oh, that's you know the U.S.'s backyard. Well, if the if China or if the PRC had an equivalent, um, I mm-hmm. think they would be very quick to say, oh, Southeast Asia is our backyard. Again, not endorsing that particular point of view, but I think to a lot of those in Beijing, to them, you know, the countries in Southeast Asia who have more similar cultural, historic ties. I mean, actually, the the history between a lot of those countries and China is is very, very long. Um, To a lot of people sitting in Beijing, right? if they are trying to influence any region in the world, Southeast Asia should be first. And in addition to what Noor had just said, um, part of China's own uh, plans for their own technological development is, of course, indigenous innovation. And on top of that is exporting those types of their indigenous uh, innovation, their technologies to other countries, right? They're, the government itself is urging their firms to go out, literally the term is go out, uh, into the global economy to to expand. And of course, Southeast Asia, since it's literally so much closer, um, is a great uh, market for them. And so in addition to the government um, pushing their own companies out. Uh, it, it also makes a lot of practical sense that Chinese firms are, you know, traveling a shorter distance to countries in Southeast Asia. A couple of other uh, things that I should probably just mention in the case or in the context of PRCH science and technology strategy, right? Of course, they have the Belt and Road, uh, which is trying to, uh, which is a plan to have a lot of their own firms and their own workers go out and build the infrastructure uh, for different countries uh, that can include roads and bridges, but with their digital silk road, uh, they've added on top of that a technological uh, component. And again, that's really trying to push their own technological uh, innovations out into the world. Um, In addition, they have kind of partnered with ASEAN countries. They have a China-ASEAN digital economy operation uh, plan. Uh, and this is really, again, the government encouraging their companies to partner with different companies or even cities and local uh, governments in um, Southeast Asian countries to, you know, build, build failed infrastructure, data centers, uh, cell towers, etc. This is really interesting. So so you mentioned the, the government has been pushing tech giants out. Um, what's the reception been for them in different countries? Because of course, ASEAN, it's it's hard to talk about as uh, as anything that close to a monolithic block, but there, there's a lot of diversity um, among states, both kind of in, with respect to their relations with China, but also with respect to the differing levels of digital infrastructure that you find present. We... Um absolutely been seeing uh, conflicting viewpoints coming from these countries. And I would say that um, generally they are a bit reluctant to take sides. Um, You know, 
uh, either uh, between the U.S. or China, um, but they also generally open to the Chinese uh, market, you know, capital and technology, because they uh, Chinese companies are offering these products and services at cheaper prices and also at higher quality. So there is definitely sort of uh, competition um, in that space a little when it comes to commercial activities. Um, and we also highlight a couple of surveys that um, in the report that show you know, different attitudes towards uh, Chinese uh, products and, and services. Um, for example, there's one that looks at um, the fact that they still pretty much largely distrust um, the Chinese uh, presence in, in, the, in these countries. And again, it's not broken down by, by country, so it's really hard to say which exactly. But you should probably generally know that um, a couple of countries like Cambodia, Laos, um, are probably a bit more uh, inclined to be aligned with Beijing more than Washington. Um, also, uh, I'll highlight that um, some of the companies, you know, uh, also really are looking at Chinese companies and investors to you know, also foster innovation and, and promote growth, um, especially in the AI space, with, since these are still emerging technologies, still emerging economies that are trying to gain and earn capital as much as possible to um, develop their own products. So it's really important to kind of look at the push and pull factors that are coming from both sides as well. I would also like to add that sometimes for a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, right, you have Indonesia, you have Malaysia, you have Singapore, who are publishing their own AI strategy saying, we want this in our country. If the PRC is offering, you know, if Chinese companies are offering what they want, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it might not even be a political need, but a practical necessity, right? Oh, I am a country that needs this development. There's another country whose firms are very eager and willing, and they also come with a whole package, right? They can not only tell me what I need, they can train my people, they can give me uh, the the technology that I, I want at cheap prices, right? If you really want to compare, I mean, we haven't gotten to that yet, but the U.S. and China, I mean, the PRC has a really robust ecosystem. They're giving these countries packages that are very, uh, I guess, irresistible in many senses, whereas there's no similar equivalent uh, on the quote, other side. And so just to, you know, to add on to what Nora was saying, right, it's, it's also a practical consideration for these countries. And sometimes they're, they're not really choosing even it's just oh, that that's what's available. And that's a very important point that you bring up, Channing, and that's going to be the role of the United States and and other states and powers and firms in this AI ecosystem in Southeast Asia. And of course, um, China is not the only country that is prioritizing Southeast Asia, nor you mentioned that it's kind of the second most attractive um, destination for this kind of investment. And um, as you noted, kind of in your in, in survey data and, and report, um, can you tell us then a little bit more about this broader international context into which China's tech giants are, are entering. The U.S. still remains the largest source of foreign investment in AI in Southeast Asia. But what other so major sources of foreign capital are present? And can you describe that, that mix for us? Yes, absolutely. When we're looking at the investment space, um, I should also say that, you know, broader sense, um, investors typically do go in together, um, meaning that when they when a company raises money from investors, they do generally raise, um, say, a funding round from multiple investors. That could be from the U.S., that could be from China, from Singapore, from you know the U.K., from Japan. 
they're, they're multiplayers in, in this space, right? So, um, when we're looking at transactions and even the transaction value in each funding round, we do see that, um, there are other important players, um, in the region beyond just the, ch uh, Chinese or U.S. investors, right? And what's interesting to us is that no one really dominates in the region. Um, we, not even the U.S., not, not even China. And we do see more, uh, investment participation from regional players like Singapore and Indonesia, but also from global actors like the UK, Germany, um, and Japan as well is also in the region, in Indo-Pacific region. Um, and I should also note that Japan has been a, a really dependable economic partner for a lot of um, Southeast Asian countries. So, um, you know, if, if we were to be such speculating here, um, it's likely to, to we are likely to see that um, Japan might play an important role um, in the future as, uh, you know, these countries are trying not to choose between the U.S. and China. And I should also bring back Quad as well, because um, it's a really important coalition um, that these four countries, Australia, Japan, U.S. and um, India are uh, building here. Um, so we might even see more activities from these four um, economic partners uh, to a lot of Southeast Asian countries. It's interesting that you mentioned Japan as a, a trusted partner, and it makes sense if you look at these spaces in digital economy, the digital economies across Southeast Asia, where a lot of investment is is taking place. What about China? Is China a trusted partner in many of the countries that you studied? That is really interesting and a little bit conflicting to us because um, generally we do see that Chinese and AI investment activity lags behind that of the U.S. Um, and other uh, regional actors as well. Um, but what's also interesting is that um, when we look at the trans transaction value, um, China definitely share of investment transact uh, investment value is a little bigger than than the U.S. Um, and I would also have to say that um, that is mainly because of one really big um, merchant acquisition, uh, which is you know of the uh, company Singaporean company called Bigel Technology, um, the live streaming. Um, company that uses AI capability. And that was, that was uh, I think it was like $1.45 billion, um, which is a really big transaction. That's the reason why we're seeing a big jump in that space. Um, but at the same time, I should also mention that um, there, there are instances where we see co-investment um, between US investors and Chinese investors. So this is to say that there are definitely overlapping interests between um, you know, both the US and China when it comes to finding promising AI companies in the region, right? Because this is all commercial activities, commercial interests, um, investment as well, where, you know, investors are trying to figure out where to and what to fund the companies and also, you know, how to get uh, really huge investment returns. So um, uh, that is to say that uh, we, we do not see a complete zero sum game here. Now I have to mention, I think in your report, you wrote about the second most common type of AI-related linkage between China and Southeast Asia was in AI-assisted surveillance technologies. Can you tell us more in particular about who the consumer is for these technologies? Is it more government or more commercial? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question, um, especially because I think that piece that came out in the New York Times a few years ago about China exporting its surveillance state really struck right. a nerve. Uh, with, with not only you know Americans but also around the world, um, because if, if you think about surveillance technology, right? For us, 
here, uh, that's that's pretty scary. Um, and so it was really surprising to find that was, you know, the second most uh, common type of AI related linkage between Chinese tech companies and Southeast Asian countries, um, particularly Thailand, I think had the most uh, connections and then Malaysia and, and Indonesia came in second. Um, but you hit, you know, the nail right on that. It's, it's a mixture of both commercial and government entities who are receiving these technologies. I can give you a couple of examples that I thought were alarming um, and that we have highlighted in our report. Uh, first, uh, there was the Central Bank of Thailand, right, who was receiving this, uh, the, the surveillance technology. Um, you also have um, the city government, um, I think it was Gangon City uh, in Myanmar, uh, who are receiving these Hikvision cameras, um, all, you know, again, in a package with not only uh, the technology, the hardware, but also instructions on how to implement this AI enabled traffic system. Um, I think you also had uh, Huawei signing um, um, an MOU with the Cambodian government to provide assistance to their. Uh, startup centers. And so it's it's really a mixture, of course. Um, you know, if you think generally, you can kind of contrast as an individual thinking about how if you walk into a mall and you see, you know, a surveillance camera, what does that mean? Um, if you walk into a research camp center and you see a security camera, what does that mean? But then if you're just walking on the streets and you realize, oh, there's a camera right outside, you know, my house, right? So uh, the, the the mixture is definitely um, something that, that we thought was really uh, surprising, um, especially I think with that with that bank example, right? Where um, you know you're realizing it's not only just at the state level where you have like the Thai government or the Indonesian government, but you actually have the municipal governments also uh, being receivers of this technology and actively working with these Chinese firms to acquire that technology. And and add to that the layer of of data protection which is is not as developed consistently across the countries that you're that you're looking at it would it would add a potentially an additional layer of of alarm to to some of these these developments that that's that's really interesting and it gets me to i guess the last question that comes out of this report and that's of course you're aware that recently we've seen a lot of headlines that characterize the U.S.-China rivalry in in Southeast Asia and almost martial language, like for example, like as a battleground and the such. And also, U.S.-China competition is framed in often in grand dichotomies. For example, as we talked about a little bit here, kind of digital authoritarianism versus digital freedoms, and it's often presented as kind of a zero in zero sum terms. Uh, but your report does point to a lot of co-investment, and you did mention earlier in the episode there's a lot of co-investment between U.S. and Chinese investors taking place in Southeast Asia. So can your report be taken as potentially either kind of cautioning against a zero-sum analysis of U.S.-China relations in Southeast Asia, or is it seen more as sounding the alarm on a growing digital footprint on the part of China in Southeast Asia? Well, probably going to say both, right? Like, and to your point, right, the, the growing digital uh, footprint um, in Southeast Asia coming from China, um, like like Chianning just mentioned earlier about the uh, growing surveillance and smart cities technology, right? We're seeing a lot. Uh, for example, you know, uh, I'll go back to the uh, the case of Thailand. It doesn't have any AI investment linkage with Chinese investors. But the country has a lot of, you know, surveillance and smart city technology linkages with Chinese tech companies, right? And we're seeing that um, through, you know, the lens of government stakeholders who are trying to 
um, contract these Chinese Chinese companies to build smart cities in, you know, for example, in pocket um, municipal government uh, uh, or the, the city itself. Um, has worked with Huawei to, 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 to build smart cities. Um, and so, you know, that's really a, a really interesting space to watch in the future for, um, U.S. government or, um, even allies and partners to think about what else can we, um, kind of, uh, do in a space of data privacy and also, um, uh, human rights violation as well. Um, and to answer your first question about what to watch out for, um, you know, whether this is a zero sum, um, competition, uh, we would say that, you know, that language is probably a bit um, less productive when we think about, you know, uh, U.S., China, um, technology and economic competition in the region. Um, I would also say that, you know, just one really big takeaway from the report is that, um, yes, China still currently plays a limited role in the region. But, you know, in the long run, we can expect that trend to shift a little. And I can probably provide two um, possible reasons to that. Um, one is probably we see more uh, uh, encouragement from the Chinese government to go out, like Channing said earlier, to go out and invest in these companies. And we see that in the uh, next generation AI development plan back in 2017. Uh, and we kept seeing that rhetoric coming up too uh, over time. Um, and two, you know, there's also more efforts coming from the U.S. to pressure um, uh, Chinese to pressure U.S. investors from, you know, moving away from China a little because we're looking at um, the debates around outbound investment screening, debates around export controls. So um, there might be um, interest from the U.S. side to kind of divest, you know, away from China and to other emerging economies. Um, so you you might see that trends. Um, and the Chinese uh, companies also responding to economic slowdown in, in its own country. So um, again, more interest coming, uh, going away from China and to other regions that might be um, growing in this space. Um, and so, you know, um, and again, we might not, we might say, okay, we sh shouldn't be concerned because we're not seeing a lot of activities. But at the same time, the report notes that the Chinese activity is growing, right? They're playing catch up. Uh, so there's definitely still a space to watch, um, on the investment side, but also other, um, related AI, AI related linkages. Um, because again, these, Companies are trying to pursue different opportunities in Southeast Asia. They're cutting across different sectors, different types of activities. You know, it involves different um, commercial and government actors. Um, and so, you know, it's really important for us to still watch the space very carefully. Right. And there's certainly a lot to watch okay. going forward. Channing. Yeah, I'd also add that our report looks at the activity that's happened in the last decade, right? 2010 to 2021. And as we all know, you know, there has actually been a lot of change in uh, sentiment in, you know, we had a big pandemic and, you know, that definitely influenced, I think, a lot of governments changing their views on certain things. Uh, even in the United States, we had our own administration change, which means that there was a new tone that the United States was trying to use to, you know, cooperate with allies and partners again on different issues. So I think it's also important to say, you know, note, just like you said, right? Yes, the picture is complicated. If you look in the last 10 years, uh, it's definitely not zero sum because, you know, like we've mentioned before, you have co-investment, right? And so what does that mean for decoupling if that if that's, you know, going to be part of the conversation? Um, but so again, in light of that, right, knowing that this is kind of an analysis of the past, looking forward, we also have to watch what these different countries are going to do uh, or not, right, in response to increased U.S. export controls, 
you know, it was great that the U.S. Uh, was able to get Japan and the Netherlands on board with the newest uh, controls on their semiconductor uh, equipment. But what about the next steps that the U.S. takes, right? How are these countries going to uh, be responding? And as reluctant, as Moore said, as reluctant as Southeast Asian countries are to choose quote unquote sides, you know, we also have to watch what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Beijing and seeing if these two you know, capitals are actually going to end up forcing Southeast Asian countries to do that. So um, I think our research provides a lot of value in the sense that it's painting a picture that doesn't seem, you know, for to be more optimistic, doesn't seem too bleak uh, for the zero sum picture. But we also have to keep in mind that a lot has happened in the last two years, even right, that can potentially change this. Um, And of course, like Noor had mentioned, you know, changes within China itself uh, might influence how Chinese companies continue to act uh, in the future. And actually, on the um, their allies and partners side, um, I'm I'm going to bring back the Quad report. Uh, the last time we, we were here to talk about that, absolutely. Um, there, there's absolutely, um, obviously, you know, the strategic competition, and um, when you think about our hardcore security issues, um, that could potentially shy um, away of a lot of Southeast Asian countries um, and ASEAN centrality as well, because they really. Um, they really careful about protecting, um, you know, uh, territorial sovereignty and whatnot. Um, but uh, technology can absolutely be the bridge builder between um, uh, these countries and open more doors for collaborations, more diplomatic engagements, right? Um, and also to really help these countries strengthen ties with one another. So um, again, the Quad is absolutely building a model for these um, countries to kind of look at and say, all right, um, there is definitely an opportunity here to collaborate with one another and to um, also, you know, use technology as a key way to bring up all of these countries together. Um, and also, I would also mention that um, the Quad Plus also includes Vietnam, right? So there's also interest to kind of bring um, bring in ASEAN countries to, to the broader um, Quad working groups and coalition. Absolutely. And for our listeners, that was season three, episode seven, where we had Noor talk about AI in the in the quad. And there's definitely a lot to to watch here. And one thing that I really learned a lot from about from your report was just the the sheer diversity of the AI space and AI AI ecosystem across Southeast Asia. And Noor and Channing, I'd like to thank you both for for being here today. And, and also for sharing your findings with us and I guess lifting the veil, so to speak, on AI investment and commercial activities across Southeast Asia's fast growing digital economies. And also thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Of course, if you like the show, we invite you to subscribe and leave us a comment. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at onair underscore podcast. And don't forget to join us for the next episode for a discussion at the intersection of AI and IR. Until then, stay human.